2: some time in New Orleans leads to a much-needed victory. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. I'm joined in the game studios by the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. we got a great show lined up for you here this morning. Jeff Palermo will join us at 7.30. Our friend from Tiger Rag Radio and the Louisiana Radio Network. We're going to talk all things LSU. It was not a celebratory atmosphere once the game kicked off. Before the game, Saturday against Tennessee, it was a great atmosphere. Once the opening kickoff occurred, then it went all downhill after that. We'll talk the state of the LSU football program with Jeff 7 730 at 8 o'clock. Vinny Iyer, from the Sporting News, NFL reporter and columnist will join us, give his thoughts on what he sees from the NFL as we wrap up week number five. Our team's starting to get some separation, or is everything still muddled? Feels like things are kind of still muddled, doesn't it? With the exception of the Philadelphia Eagles, who are just, you know, keep winning. And sneakily, so are the Dallas Cowboys who took down the defending Super Bowl champions with ease last night. So we'll talk all things NFL with Vinny at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, joining us for the Big Easy Blitz will be our buddy Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast. So those are our three guests on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. We'll also dive into the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. They're gearing up for a midweek contest at Marshall. Huge game for them if they want to turn their season around. We'll also talk Houston Astros gearing up to host the Seattle Mariners in the American League Division Series. We'll recap the wild card action over the weekend as well. But we'll start off today's show talking about them Saints. Slow start yet again, right? It was a little sluggish to begin with. And this time... It was the defense that was giving up big chunk plays. And you're like, hey, now, wait up. (laughs) Now, Saints didn't have Jameis Winston, had to put out Andy Dalton again. Defensively, they didn't have Marcus May. They didn't have P.J., right? They were banged up on that side. Peyton Turner not playing games still. That's all that guy does is miss games. That's all he does. Been a first-round draft pick on a guy who never plays. But I digress. Seahawks go up early in this game, 10-3. to And you're like, <sighs> You're just like, hmm. Not thrilled by that. Not thrilled. Andy Dalton was okay playing quarterback again. Not terrible, not great. But the wide receiving core was banged up. You know, when you turn on the television and there you see Traquan Smith and Marquez Calloway out there playing wide receiver for the Saints. Your reaction is, eh. No. Please don't. Please, please don't. And of course, Traquan out there dropping passes. In a, in a tight game. But they start off... Getting the 56-yard field goal with by Will Lutz. That gives him a big confidence boost right. The dome started rocking. But the dome got pretty quiet after they gave up the 50-yard touchdown pass to DK Metcalf. And I could just hear Saints fans screaming. I could feel Kevin Foote screaming. I was like, oh, no. I was like, oh, no, here it comes. And then Seattle adds a 56-yard field goal themselves, and they're up 10-3. to But then comes the second quarter, and they start utilizing Taysom Hill more. Andy Dalton was the quarterback, but they used Taysom in that wildcat role. Line up at tight end, line up in the backfield, line up at quarterback. Eight-yard touchdown run. That ties it. Then it was Taysom time again. Nine-yard touchdown run. Now it's 17-10, to and just like that, it swings. Seattle adds a field goal to cut it 17-13, and then they take the lead before halftime because the Saints secondary decided to be sleepy on Sunday. Tyler Lockett, 35-yard touchdown pass from Geno Smith. And we talked about this last week, that this was not going to be a pretty game, right? We talked about how this was going to be an ugly game, but as long as they won, that's all that matters. In the third quarter, you have a little bit of a scary moment. Alave catches a sensational 16-yard touchdown pass from Andy Dalton. That was great. They have to review it because the ball popped out at the end of the play. And, of course, you could tell that Alave looked like he got knocked unconscious to me with his head blasting onto the turf of the Superdome. During the play, they review it. It stands. Touchdown. Not only did that play go their way, the DK Metcalf fumble that was reviewed, and I was like, oh, they're going to go against the Saints. That didn't go against the Saints either. So they had two 50-50 calls get reviewed and go for the Saints. What? What? What's going on in this game? By the way, Seattle and New Orleans are the two most penalized teams in the NFL. <laughs> Just saying. When it's all flashed, like There it is. Alave has to leave the game. So now the Saints are down. No Michael Thomas. No Jarvis Landry. No Chris Alave. You got Traquan Smith and Callaway out there lining up at wide receiver. Oof. Yet they find a way. This time, Taysom time with his arm. They bit like it was nobody's business. Taysom comes in the game. as the perfect time to call that. Credit Pete Carmichael for calling a very good game. They thought it was going to be another Taysom run. Sucks him in. Troutman, 22-yard touchdown pass. It was perfect. He just rocketed in there, and Adam Troutman caught the ball. Once again, once again. Calls going the Saints' way. Adam Troutman's catching touchdowns. Taysom Hill is scoring touchdowns. What was going on yesterday in the dump? But the fourth quarter comes, and Seattle fights back. Another big chunk touchdown for the Seahawks. Geno Smith finds Tyler Lockett this time for a 40-yard touchdown pass. My wife was screaming. <laughs> we 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 had a we had a a, a birthday dinner lunch dinner at my in laws house yesterday from my brother in law. Shout out to Robbie, and we were watching the game at at their house, and Tina was sitting next to me. And man, when Lockett scored on that touchdown pass, she just grabbed me and goes, "What are they doing?" I go, "Babe, calm down." And then she really got upset when the defense decided to be like, hey, backup rookie running back, Kenneth Walker III, come on down for your 69-yard touchdown run. Just just went just gone. Just gone.
3: What are you doing?
2: 32-31. The two-point conversion, no good. That's key. Geno Smith's two-point conversion, no good. But Seattle has the lead, 32-31. Saints are down at home. You're like, they got a couple timeouts. They got more than five minutes on the clock. They got time to march down the field. And Taysom Hill said, I don't need that five and a half minutes. He said, it's Taysom time. 60-yard touchdown designed run. And that DB tried to catch him, and Taysom's like, nah, I'm I'm going to take you with me to the end zone. Guy just took over. Best performance of his career by far. Taysom Hill had the best game of his career. Not only did he have the four total touchdowns, three of them on the ground, one passing, he also recovered a fumble on special teams. He was still out there playing special teams. And the Saints pull it out 39-32. to 32. They improved to 2-3 and three on the season. Get a much-needed win. Andy Dalton, not terrible. Not great, but not terrible. 16-24, 187 yards, one touchdown, one pick. Only sacked one time. Both Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara over 100 yards on the ground. Taysom for 112 yards with three touchdowns. Kamara, 23 carries, 103 yards, averaging four and a half yards a pop. On top of that, Kamara also led the team in receiving six catches for 91 yards. So they got Alvin the ball. Now, that was the thing when you watched the game. Somebody changed their game plan. All right, Andy, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have specialized plays for Taysom Hill. We're going to take advantage of it. We're going to run the football, and we're going to get the ball in Alvin Kamara's hands as much as possible. Six targets, six catches for 91 yards, and he had over 100 yards rushing. It's amazing. Why haven't they been utilizing this game plan all season? I'm not for sure. We'll have to do a deep dive into that later. But they came out, and you could tell they had a game plan. Their game plan was get the ball in Hill and Kamara's hands, and that's what they did. No Michael Thomas, no Jarvis Landry. They lost Chris Olave during the game. They had Callaway, Traquan Smith, and old Keith Kirkwood out there catching balls. And yet they still found a way to win game now it wasn't the cleanest game Kamara lost a fumble which was costly Andy Dalton had the pick was not a good throw and the secondary had its struggles it was not a good game for Paulson Adebo he got burned a few times got lost a little bit lost a step got lost out there Made some good plays, but then his bad plays were really bad. Secondary was not its best as Geno Smith. 16 to 25 for 268 yards, three touchdowns. And most of those touchdowns were all chunk plays. 40 yards, 50 yards, 32 yards. So not the prettiest performance. But 39-32 is still a dub. Still gets you to two and three. You feel like you got something working here with Andy Dalton as your starting quarterback. He's competent. He's not terrible, but he's not great. So you got a guy like that at quarterback. He's not going to cost you a game. He may not win you a game, even though that throw he threw to Olave was phenomenal. Andy Dalton's an average quarterback. So it's as if Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen were like, hey, the guy that we got out there, he's kind of average. Doesn't have a big arm. But he's not going to turn over the ball a ton. We're not going to have to worry about a three-interception game. We can throw for maybe 200 yards with this guy. Let's get the ball in Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara's hands as much as possible. Okay? Everyone on board? Okay. And there you go. Put up 39 points. Now, will you get Michael Thomas back and Landry back, and then you get additional weapons? That will obviously help Andy Dalton. But this could be a formula here. Have your quarterback just be kind of average. Make some plays throughout the game to the wealth of wide receivers that they have, even though we got to figure out about Chris Olave if he's going to be in concussion protocol. And if Landry and Thomas are going to be back for Sunday's tilt against the Cincinnati Bengals, the return of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase to the Superdome, or you know whether or not you have them back or not, can you incorporate? Look, Taysom Hill's not going to have four touchdowns every game, but if you incorporate Taysom Hill more into the offense, it's going to free up other guys. Use the pieces that you have. And the frustration part for the last few weeks is that they haven't been using Taysom Hill. They haven't been using Alvin Kamara. You got guys on your roster. You have talented guys. Use them. The Saints did a good job of doing that yesterday, and they pull out the win, 39-32. we got to take a timeout. We'll hear from the Saints. The victorious Saints should be a glorious Monday morning, right? Should be. Kevin Foote. Eh, we don't know. (laughs) You're listening to the game. That's what we do know. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. RP3 doesn't play around when it comes to his personal life. I got one NFL team. I got one college team. I got one major league baseball team.
1: And the big fella's
2: also monogamous when it comes to his sports fandom. That's what I got my merch for. That's who I support. Period. Call me old-fashioned. The in. Call me old-fashioned. That's
1: fine. I'll be old-fashioned. RP3 is just committed to providing you with great sports talk here on The Game. 1037, 1037, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 1037 Lake, 1037 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana. Sports Station.
4: One and oh. Take it one week at a time. Okay? Never take winning for granted. That was a hell of an effort. Okay? We talked about this being a bat game. All right? Okay, and we talk about being the most physical team, and we talk about winning the Russian battle, right? Okay, how about 48 for 225? Yeah. And we made the plays when we needed to make the plays. And here's the deal, man, okay? When your number is called, you got to step up. And we had some guys step up today. Yeah. That's a hell of a win, all right? It's a hell of a win. Now, we got a lot of things we still got to clean up. got to do, 1-0, okay. 1-0. 1-0, 1-0. Hell of a win, man. Yes, Somebody break it down.
2: Dennis Allen praising his team inside the locker room after yesterday's win over the Seattle Seahawks. Guys had their number called, and they stepped up uh, across the board. Taysom Hill stepped up. Alvin Kamara stepped up. Even Mark Ingram got that two-point conversion. Big deal. Guys stepped up. Wasn't the prettiest thing. They got plenty to work on. Geno Smith had chunk play after chunk play in that secondary. Got to clean that up. Now, getting Alante Taylor, Marcus May, PJ Williams, getting those guys back will be helpful. (laughs) You know, getting a few starters on the back end of the defense to come back in would be helpful. And we'll see what happens this week. And we'll also see if you get Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas back. And if Chris Olave, the sensational rookie at Ohio State, is going to miss time. But it was a victory. Got the job done. And they used Taysom Hill a lot yesterday, right? Three rushing touchdowns and a 22-yard passing touchdown to tight end Adam Troutman. He even all his on special teams, recovered a fumble. Was the game plan, though? To have taste some time, that much.
4: Look, I don't know that you ever really know exactly how many snaps somebody's going to get. It just depends on how the game's being played out, you know. Um, but I thought we were able to do some things in the running game and utilize him in, in those areas. Um, and then, obviously, with the uh, with what they were doing defensively, um, you know, trying to stop the run game, we felt like there was an opportunity in the passing game, and and, and uh, you know, we were able to throw a touchdown there. So. Uh, look, I got to give, you know, Pete Carmichael and the offensive staff a lot of credit for the game plan that they put together. Um, they operated it, it uh, very well, and, uh, and, and that was a big part of it.
2: Taysom was sensational. Big play after big play, including that huge 60-yard touchdown run that he had where he just broke through. And then was off to the races and the db couldn't catch him and this is what the saints fan favorite had to say what he saw how he would break down that 60-yard touchdown
5: look i I think obviously that was a that was a big play they knew we were going to run the ball third and short um and so they were clearly selling out to, to stop the run and um you know if you get by the first level defense there's just there's nobody left and so once i broke contain i knew it was a foot race and um you know i I think if if i was five yards further back i don't know if i if i would have got in but um look we made it work
2: i talked about the touchdown pass that he had to troutman which seemingly caught seattle off guard because it was his first pass attempt all season and he had run and gashed them so many times already in the game. They bit. They're like, okay, this is a run. Taysom's in the game. It's going to be a run. In fact, it was a precision pass. And Taysom was asked, did he have the option on that play to run as well?
5: Uh, no, I was always going always to throw it. Um, look, we talked at halftime. Um, we, uh, I think that, that was kind of just the classic, hey, we want to run the ball to set up the pass game and so as we came into halftime Pete and I talked and said hey we really like this play so don't be surprised you know that that'll probably be one of my first first plays to get to with you um, and he dialed it up perfectly
2: design pass all the way but you called it at the right time because you had already established the run and Seattle was like well he's gonna run we gotta load we gotta load the box and had the perfect coverage to be able to throw that 22-yard dart to Troutman for the touchdown. How big was this win? Once again, this team came from behind to beat Atlanta on the road in the opener but looked awful for three quarters, and then it was loss, 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 right? Three-game losing skid. How big of a deal was it for them to get back on track and get the win Sunday?
5: Yeah, look, I mean, it it, it was important. I, I don't want to – Overstate or undersell, you know, the importance of this win. But one and three doesn't doesn't feel great, um, obviously. And I felt like we needed a game like this just just to get some confidence back. And um, you know, the expectation moving forward is that we just keep this thing rolling. And um, I think we know that we're a really talented football team, and uh, we just need to continue to stack stack these wins.
2: Continue to stack these wins. And you heard Dennis Allen talk about look. There are things for them to clean up. They got to work on. He even told his team that afterwards in the locker room, there's stuff still to clean up, still stuff to work on. And we talked about those deep shots, right? That the Seahawks got chunk plays, touchdowns on deep shots in the secondary. And he discussed about giving up those long balls.
4: Well, they got behind us. Um, I don't think we played a couple of those. The one at the end of the half, that's inexcusable. That can't happen. You know, and then the one there in the, uh, you know, fourth quarter um, to lock it, um, you know, we really got kind of two doubles on that. Um, and he just got on top of us. So, you know, we got to work to clean that up. We'll look at the tape and see what we can do better. But, um, you know, I, I look at the way we played defensively and I'd say, but for about four or five plays, you know, um, it was pretty good, but yet those four or five plays, um, you end up being basically you know 28 points uh in the game so those are things that we got to clean up
2: if you can clean that up you you're going to have to clean that up because i know cincinnati's struggling as well they're 2 and 3 they lost to baltimore on a last second field goal in a low scoring game their offense not is not necessarily humming Okay, the Bengals are a little sluggish offensively, but you can't. You, you got to shore up the back end of that defense because Jamar Chase and T. Higgins and the way Joe Burrow throws the ball down the field, they're going to carve you up. So you, if you're the Saints, you got to figure that out this week. But victory is a victory. Hard fought victory taste some time four touchdowns for the fan favorite Alvin Kamara nearly 200 all-purpose yards recipe for success got the win to improve to two and three we got to take a timeout when we return here on rp3 and company we're going to talk about a team that did not win on on all over the weekend they lost they lost in terrible fashion the LSU Tigers We're very much humbled on Saturday inside Death Valley. We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: RP3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets.
2: But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet that netted me a cool $6.70. What? Okay, so he's not a risk taker.
1: He's your best bet for sports stock. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. No. Now back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
6: Well, that was not um, what we had planned um, nor expected. We expected to play much better than that. Certainly when you uh, fumble the open kickoff and give a extra possession to a team that, you know, obviously plays fast and, and loves extra possessions and then give them another three points and spot them 10 points in special teams, you put yourself in a huge hole. Uh, that's what we did. And then our, our details were, were were not very good. I, I mean, look, I could stand up here all day. Th- that falls on coaching. That That's on me and I have to coach better.
2: Brian Kelly. Trying to find the words after one of the absolute worst losses inside Tiger Stadium in the modern era. LSU got mollywhopped. And it started right from the jump. Jack Besh fumbles the opening kickoff. Recovered. Six plays later, Small pounds his way into the end zone. Just like that, you're down by a touchdown. And off they go. LSU was outmatched. Had no chance. They, They just didn't. Kelly goes for it on fourth down three times in the first half. Once on fourth and ten. And because he, he didn't have a choice. Like he's like, we got to somehow get points. The, the one time they had that was the closest was when Daniels hits Kayshawn Butte for a little pass near the sideline. He tries to stretch to get to the marker. He couldn't get there. Turnover on downs. So you had turnovers. You didn't force any turnovers. And what was abundantly clear. LSU doesn't have the talent to hang with the best teams in this conference. It. When you say afterwards, that's the best guy we got. And Kelly said that numerous times. When someone questioned about Jane Daniels, who, by the way, had 300 yards right on the nose but didn't look great doing it, he's limited. The, the, the kid's limited. He, he's a gamer. He's gutty. He can make plays with his legs. He can make some of the throws. But there were passes in that game on Saturday where he could have hit his guy in stride or hit it Through the pass just literally like a yard in front of him so he could get it and get some yak yards after the catch. He ain't doing that. He ain't that guy. He's just not that guy. But he's the best option they have. That's the best option they have is Jane Daniels at quarterback. Walker Howard's the future. He ain't ready. Garrett Nussmeyer isn't good enough. So the best option option they have is Jaden Daniels. They can't run the football either. That, that's the thing that is stunning to me. I know the offensive line is a mess. I get it. And losing Will Campbell, your best offensive lineman, during the walkthrough the day before, he had to be hospitalized for dehydration. You saw it on Instagram, even posted a picture, I'll be back. They had to reshuffle their offensive line. I get all that. We're talking LSU football cannot run the football. They can't run the football. The defense isn't good enough, and this is not a knock on some of those guys. So let, 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 let me be clear. Brian Kelly took over a program that had been run into the ground. Had only 39 scholarship players. Had to use a wide receiver as a quarterback in a bowl game they probably should have never even been in. This man has guys from Florida International and McNeese starting for him against SEC top 10 Heisman Trophy candidate competition. It's not a knock against Florida International. It's not a knock against McNeese, but this is the SEC versus top ten in the country. Hendon Hooker is a Heisman candidate. This is the when Brian Kelly says afterwards, "This is the best we got." He's not lying. He's not lying. The talent difference between LSU and the top tier teams, and Tennessee is one of those top tier teams. By the way, undefeated Tennessee, undefeated Alabama, this coming Saturday is going to be epic. It's just going to be epic. Tennessee has a legit chance of finally ending that losing streak to Alabama. LSU's just not there. She's not there with the talent. She's not. Kelly's going to need some time. And I think Saturday was an eye-opening experience for everyone to realize, hey, Built up some momentum. Yeah, we beat Mississippi State. Yeah, we went on the road and beat a bad Auburn team. But we got work to do. There's lots of work to do. Now, going for it on fourth down like a madman. I felt he probably should have taken the points when they decided to go for it on that pass play to Boutte. He felt like his team basically facing the offense that they were facing, that they needed to be aggressive and needed to try to get first downs and try to get touchdowns. So I get it. You don't want to settle for three because you feel like you got to go toe-to-toe with this team. I understand all that. But Kelly said they leaned on the analytics when it came to deciding whether or not to go for those gambles on fourth down like they did.
6: I got behind by 10 and then, you know, couldn't match possessions at that time. We were within the, you know, the analytical numbers too. So I was keeping an eye on, you know, where we were from that position. You know, once you get behind against a team like that, you know, you're listening both to those and, and your opportunities to score. So felt like I needed to.
2: So he took a gamble because he felt like his team was outmatched. And they were. And they couldn't convert on fourth down. They went 0 for 3 on the fourth down conversions. Not optimal, by the way. Couldn't get it done on fourth down gambles. And not only was it the fourth down conversions, it was also not running the football well. It was not communicating somewhat on defense as well. And look, Kelly talked about afterwards and owned it afterwards about, look, these are the guys that we have. We got to coach them up. We have to coach better.
6: Uh, Again, our details weren't very good. We didn't tackle very well. Again, I could give you a a number of different uh, reasons for it, but it falls on us as coaches. We have to communicate better. We miss some, some signals. That's on us. I mean, we have to have a better system where guys don't miss signals after we're double-checking. You know, they look, we look. We, we had a couple of those scenarios, and that's just, again, I, I don't want to keep repeating myself, but those are the guys that are playing for us, and, and we've got to get them to play better.
2: He's letting everyone know, and I don't view it as an excuse. I know a lot of you don't like Brian Kelly. You didn't think he's a good hire. I, I get it. But this is a good coach. He may not be a great coach. He's a good coach. He's won everywhere he's at. National championships in D2 at Grand Valley State. By the way, this is the worst loss of his coaching career since he was at Grand Valley State back in 2000. He won a lot of games at Cincinnati. He won a lot of games at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly's a good coach. You may not like him. You may not think he's a great coach. You may not think he's going to win the LSU Tigers and National Championship, and that all may be true, but he's a good coach. The man's got his work cut out for him. Orgeron buried this program. He helped lead it to the greatest season possibly in college football history, and then he took too many victory laps, And got lazy. And that buried the program in a heartbeat. Guys opting out. Guys transferring. Guys leaving. Guys not playing well. And he didn't recruit worth a darn either. Towards the end. Saturday tells you just how bad off the LSU Tigers are. The talent is not there. You could... When you're in the stadium, you can see it firsthand. You see it even more so than you can on television. In the opener, you're like, well, it's the opener against Florida State. You saw it Saturday. Like, Tennessee is an elite team. That's a team that's going to try to contend for the SEC championship. LSU was no match. There was no match whatsoever for them. They had no business being on that field with Tennessee. That's the problem. And that's going to take a couple recruiting cycles to go through. I'm not sitting here telling you that Brian Kelly's going to win a national championship at LSU. I lean towards that he's not. But he's going to bring some stability to the program. And when your best option is Jane Daniels, who... Was okay. Not great, but okay. You get the offensive line where you're starting a guy from Florida International. And your best offensive lineman is a freshman who couldn't play Saturday because he had dehydration. Had to be hospitalized. And you got guys from UL and McNeese starting in your secondary. Just saying. 40-13. to 13. It's the worst loss at Tiger Stadium that LSU has suffered against a non-Alabama team. We're not counting 2018, the shutout by Bama against Joe Burrow and company. We're not counting the pandemic 2020 year, which are the two most lopsided. This is the most lopsided home, lost, home loss for LSU inside Tiger Stadium against a non-opponent against a non-Alabama opponent, rather, since 2001 when they lost to Florida. How many years ago was that? 20. More than 20. 21. They've had some stinkers. 2015, Arkansas. 2008, they lost to, like, Ole Miss. And somebody else that same year. Got embarrassed a year after the national title season. But... They were very much humbled on Saturday. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Grant to the show. Grant, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend?
7: Hey, good morning to you. Um, Yeah, Just listening to your comments. You know, I'm not sure exactly. I guess you you said, you know, it will be a battle Saturday with Tennessee, and and we'll find out how good Tennessee is Saturday. But they certainly haven't looked like – I mean, they, they're undefeated. Don't get me wrong, but they could have easily lost to Pittsburgh, yeah, Florida. Um, I don't think that they're um, necessarily um, world beaters. Is all I'm saying. I mean, they are ranked in the top ten, and they haven't lost a game yet. But looking at LSU, as someone who's not not an LSU fan, um, I, I I still wonder why LSU threw 100 million dollars at Brian Kelly when Notre Dame basically wanted him to retire. I I don't I don't get that. Um, I understand that the other coaches that they wanted, and they had to have a coach. They, they find someone, but I, I just don't understand that. You know, Brian Kelly never the the numbers.
2: Um, the numbers. The, the number of the contract really doesn't matter. It doesn't because look, modern contracts. You got coaches that are getting buyouts of eighteen, twenty million left and right. Okay, so the the, right. the, 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 the big number is not what to focus on. Look, Woodward brought in a guy that he knew could stabilize the program. It, 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 you, you can't look at it as, oh, you brought in Brian Kelly to win championships. You didn't bring in Brian Kelly to win championships. Nor is Brian Kelly going to uh, coach that entire 10-year contract. That's not going to happen. You brought in a guy that was ready to leave Notre Dame, and Notre Dame was ready for him to leave. You brought in a veteran coach who could come in and kind of clean up things and bring right. stability. And That's what you're doing here, right? Brian Kelly's your bridge guy, if that makes any sense. We talk about bridge quarterbacks all the time, Grant, right? the guy to get to to the next guy, that's what Kelly feels like to me. And I I mentioned that on the air when when he first got hired. It feels like this is Scott Woodward going, okay, this is my guy. He's going to come in. He's going to bring in some recruits. He's going to redo the roster. He's going to clean up the program. We're not going to have all this nonsense surrounding the program. And then when he gets to retirement age or if he's just kind of treading water, I will part ways with him. I will pay the buyout. I will have the, you know, the Tiger Athletic Foundation pony up the dough to do that, and then I'll find the young guy to come in to take over the program to lead us to national titles. That's what I think the mindset is.
7: No, I fully totally understand that. Um just last thing here, looking at this LSU program this year, I don't think they're as bad as they played Saturday. I mean, they made Will Rogers look pretty bad, who's a pretty good right. quarterback at Mississippi State. And um, they also went on the road at Auburn, who's not a great team this year, but not not easy to go on the road at Auburn and, and play as well as they played, especially in the, in the uh, second half of that game. Now, the question that I have is, how many losses will it take for LSU this year for them to go to Walker Howard? How, there, is there no way he'll play at all this year is what you're saying?
2: I'm going to answer that question. i got to hit a timeout. Right. When I come back, brother, right. I'm going to answer your question. Appreciate the phone call. Thank you, and all hope right. you have an you. Enjoy your day. All right. Thank you. Was asked that question over the weekend as well. It's a good topic. Good question by Grant. We'll answer that coming up after this. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Grant asked an excellent question. He, he, he also made a statement. He doesn't think this LSU team is as bad as it looks on Sunday, I, I, uh, Saturday, rather. I agree. And I also look at their schedule. Arkansas is fading. They're struggling. Texas A&M could be a nuclear disaster by the regular season finale. You should beat UAB. And then, honestly, Saturday's game against Florida, who's 4-2, and two, that's a coin flip game. You never do know what you're going to get out. That's a first-year coach under Billy Napier as well, trying to take over a program and rebuild Florida. So even if you say Ole Miss is a loss, Alabama's a loss, Arkansas could be a win. A&M could be a win. That's two wins right there. Just those two games alone, UAB, man, you're a seven-win team. So you still have an opportunity here to have a good foundation season. I think their ceiling is probably seven wins this year. As for Walker Howard, I think the goal, to answer your question, Grant, directly, I don't think they want to play him at all. I think they want to save him his entire red shirt. But we'll see. If things go sideways, they could maybe play him later in the year. we got to take a timeout. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Tigers and the Strows.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Everything. Everything, everything going to be all right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Saints are a winner as they use Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara to get a win over the Seattle Seahawks to improve to 2-3. and That leads us to our poll question of the day, where we ask you, is this formula that we saw Sunday, plenty of Taysom time, plenty of Alvin Kamara getting the ball in his hands, both with actual handoffs and, wait for it, screen passes, which I've been yelling about for weeks now. Is that the new formula for this team to get back to being a winning team, to get back into playoff contention. That's our poll question of the day on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. And right now, 44% of you say yes. 43% say maybe. Got some hesitation. 13% say no. Let's get to some comments. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, absolutely, RP3. Every, more Taysom Hill, the better for everyone. And them 39 to 40 fantasy points ain't too shabby. <laughs> Yeah, I know some people that have Taysom Hill on their fantasy football team, and many of them did not have them in their lineup. <laughs> yeah. JPK, the OD, it's the is the formula to go 9-8, and eight, miss the playoffs by one game, get a late first-round draft pick, and talk about waiting until next year? It's not sustainable. Taysom will get hurt, and we still have a $100 million slot-wide receiver with a perpetual foot injury with <laughs> with back end of the build curve backups. JPK, the OD, why are you so negative today? The Saints won, and your Mariners won over the weekend? They're headed to the division series? It should be nothing but positive vibes from you, my man. Why are you bringing negativity to the timeline? I don't understand it. You perplex me. Ralph Bergeron says, I assume you mean using Camarion Hill similar the rest of the season. Seattle was one of the worst defenses, so let's not get crazy, but it was fun to watch. As for giving up big plays, I hope not. A look at the lab on Airline Highway. It just has a dog with a blank stare looking at math problems. Yeah, those big chunk plays are a little a little concerning. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Al to the show. Al, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? RP3. Uh,
8: miles, uh, last Miles went to the national championship game twice. And are all away at one time, so how can you not think that Brian Kelly cannot bring him to the national championship? Game?
2: Well, he's got to look. I, I think he has a chance. I'm not saying he has an impossible chance. I just think it's going to take him a couple years to build up to the program, right? So, and you're going to have right. some teams that are going to be possibly in your way. You know, how much longer is Nick Saban going to stay at Alabama? We don't know. Kirby Smart at Georgia. Billy Napier at Florida, could he turn them back into a power? I'm not for sure. Look, you're exactly right. (laughs) Les Miles won a national championship. Coach Ed Orgeron won a national championship. Brian Kelly's smarter than both of those guys. Uh, So the the likelihood of that happening could uh, could still happen here. I just think Saturday we saw just how far off LSU is from being back to being a contending team.
8: Yeah, I agree. I just want to make that point. Thanks for taking
2: my call. Appreciate the phone call, brother. Enjoy your day. Look, yeah, Les was able to win one. That 2007 team is a crazy team to think about, right? They lost two games and won the national title. The only team to do so. All because, and they only got to play for the national title, all because... An undefeated West Virginia team led by Pat White and Steve Slayton with a dynamic offense. The only thing they had to do was beat a bad Pittsburgh team in the backyard brawl. And Pitt ends up upsetting them. And Pittsburgh didn't even go to a bowl game. They weren't good enough. They didn't have enough wins. And that dropped West Virginia out of that spot. And LSU goes and beats Tennessee in the SEC championship game. And they get a crack at the national title. Crazy how that works. Crazy how that worked. That 2017 was ridiculous. The 2016, you could argue, was better. Had more talent, was a better team than the 2017. But the 2017 is the one that won the title. You could also argue the 2011 team may be the most talented LSU team besides the 2019 team. And they didn't win the title. It's crazy how that works. But you're right. Less one at 01. I-, I think the 2019 was lightning in a bottle, right? You get Joe Burrow, you have three just ridiculously phenomenal wide receivers Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, Terrence Marshall Jr. You have a breakout year with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire that no one thought was going to happen because, remember, he was always lost in the shuffle in the running back room. The offensive line played better. They won the Joe Moore Award, but they weren't great. Burrow made all the difference. And the defense finally figured out towards the tail end of the season. But that offense was something that just is remarkable. Can LSU find that again? Do you need to have that type of offense like we've seen from 2019 LSU and 2020 Alabama, where you're just killing people by averaging like 45 points a game? Is that what's needed now to win national championships? Maybe. Could be. It's going to be interesting to see. I think Kelly has his quarterback of the future. I think it's Walker Howard. I think what you're going to see this year, I think they're going to try to keep Walker from playing at all. Now, you're allowed to play up to four games and still maintain the redshirt status. But I think Brian Kelly's old school enough where he's like, no, nah, I, I want Walker just to stay. Just learn the playbook, bulk you up, get you through the weight room, get you ready for the spring. Because I think that's going to be Walker's job in the spring. I don't think it's Garrett Nussmeyer's job. Garrett Nussmeyer's right now the number two. I don't think it's his job. I think it's going to be Walker Howard's job. And Brian Kelly's going to build what he wants to build at LSU around Walker Howard. Because is going to be gone, right? Kayshawn's going to leave. But you're still going to have Malik Neighbors back. You're still going to have Jack Besh back. They have a very talented wide receiving core. So I feel like Brian Kelly has his quarterback that he wants moving forward to build around. That's going to be Walker Howard. He's got the wide receivers. He's got to figure out that offensive line, though. You can't. Look, even that 2019 team for LSU and the 2020 team for Alabama, they could still run the football. They were led by their passing attacks, but they could run the football. LSU can't run the football. Your quarterback shouldn't be your leading rusher. Rule of thumb. You can't sustain that. So they got to figure that out. And he's got to get better talent. He's working on that with his recruiting classes. Got to get better talent on the back end of the secondary. The back end of the defense, rather, with the secondary. He just got to. Got to improve the offensive line. Got to improve the secondary. If he can do those two things, Brian Kelly can win a lot of games. Heck, if he has one good recruiting class this offseason, they could make the jump from being like a 7-win team to a 10-win team in year two. I could see that. Does anyone have confidence that Jimbo Fisher is going to figure it out at Texas A&M? Raise your hand. They gave a scare to Alabama in a game of the battle of backup quarterbacks. Texas A&M nearly won that game. Bama had its, what, redshirt freshman backup quarterback, who's really a running back, committed three turnovers. Had three touchdowns, but committed three turnovers. Field goal kicker misses a chip shot. But A&M, does anyone believe that Jimbo... All the hype that Jimbo's had that he's going to figure it out at Texas A&M? No, they feel like they're a meltdown. So you look at the West in particular moving forward. Yeah, you still got to deal with Saban in Alabama. But Sam Pittman in Arkansas, he gets them to fight hard. They're scrappy, but they're fading right now. So when 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 I look at the schedule in front of me, as much as that was a curb stomping on Saturday... Would it surprise you if LSU went on the road and beat Florida on Saturday? No. It wouldn't surprise me. I lean towards Florida winning that game, but it wouldn't surprise me. But LSU's got Arkansas, A&M, and UAB on the back end of the schedule. After Alabama... It's Arkansas, UAB, and Texas A&M. All three of those games after Alabama are winnable games. That gets them to seven wins. Look, they're a bowl team. They're going to be a bowl team this year. I think their ceiling's probably around seven wins. And then get to a bowl game. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Matt to the show. Matt, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind?
0: Good morning, bud. Um, just the whole LSU thing. I'm not mad that they they lost. They got beat by a better team. That, that was clear. I just was so disappointed at the the play calling. Um, that you know you were talking earlier about what does it take to win a national championship? It takes coordinators, yep. coordinators that know what they're doing. This OC is not the guy, and the special teams guy that he brought down is not mm. the guy. He's going to have to find an OC. And a special teams coordinator to write that ship. Defense is okay. Um, I don't think they're any worse than Aranda's defenses because if you remember, even the the 19 season, it wasn't a great defense. They kept them in games, but they had a lot of close games. They gave up a ton of points. Um, You got to have defense to win a championship, but um, you know, you were asking earlier, what does it take? It takes an offense that clicks. And this is far from clicking. Yeah, I, I do agree that Brian Kelly is working toward Walker Howard. I mean, he, he's he's building the team for the future and for Walker to take it over and say, okay, this is this is my stamp on this team. So, when when Kelly says we got to coach better, he's not talking about himself. He knows how to coach, but he knows the coordinators he has in place right now is is not going to get it done. And, and look for a change at the end of the season especially at the O.C. position and probably at the the special Special team spot, too.
2: Matt, I agree with you, brother. I appreciate the phone call. Enjoy your day, my friend.
0: You too, man. And and Matt
2: brings up a great point here. That That was the downfall for Coach Ed Orgeron, wasn't it? Bad coordinators. After 19, it was bad coordinator time. And he made bad hires. Some of them he didn't even interview. You got to get it right. Why does Saban have so much success at Alabama? Why does Kirby have success at Georgia? Why does Dabo, even though you may hate him, have so much success at Clemson? Because they have coaches. The head coach surrounds himself with the brain trust. And in 2019 at LSU, Orgeron did something that he never really had done in his career. That's what, especially what he didn't do at Ole Miss. He got guys that were smarter than him in the room with him. He had consultants. He had the legendary John Robinson, former USC coach. Remember, he was an analyst. They had all these guys as analysts or consultants and everything like that. And he brought in a bunch of guys in there and said, hey, I'm just the figurehead. I'm the guy with the sound bites. I'm the guy that's the face of the program. You guys are going to do the majority of the coaching. I'm going to be the guy that's going to get them pumped up, fired up, ready to go. You guys are going to execute the game plan. And it worked. And then the next year, he took a hands-off approach, didn't interview folks, didn't pay attention. Things started going sideways. Then he wanted to start to meddle, and then it got worse. And he made bad coordinator hires. I agree. The special teams is awful. Once again, I brought it up earlier. LSU can't run the football, which is stunning because it's LSU. The other thing that we've always been able to count on in pretty much the last 20 years at LSU has been what? Great special teams play. Great kickers and punters. Guys that go on to the NFL. Great return guys. Special teams has always been something you can count on from LSU. Special teams is not good. Not good. Got to fix it. Got to get better. Got to get better. Got to fix it. And need to do a better job need to coach better, and need to look at special teams in particular. And Kelly admitted as much after Saturday's game while we're Down there underneath Tiger Stadium, he comes to the podium, he talks about a slew of different things, and one of the things, and he kept bringing this home over and over again, was coaching better, but he also brought up that special teams needs to be coached better.
6: We're on double-secret probation. I mean, it stinks, right? You can't give up points, right? I mean, Jack Besher's the best guy we have. They put a, a pooch kick into the corner. I mean, he's got to haul up there and catch that football. I mean, that's the best guy we got. Now, I'm back there with him, and we're working on those kicks. We didn't we didn't execute there. We outkicked our coverage. Bomb one um, into the wind. We give that returner about a 20-yard separation, and uh, we don't get off. One of our gunners doesn't get off a block. He's the best guy we got. So we just got to coach better. I mean, yes, and and maybe we got to simplify some things. So we'll go back and we'll look at special teams, and and we'll look at if, if there's things that we got to simplify even more uh, to make sure that those mistakes. Because you're absolutely right. You can't you can't spot anybody ten points and expect to win football games.
2: Coach better. He kept bringing that home over and over and over again. Got to coach better. Got to coach better. Got to coach better. He's talking not only about himself, but he's talking about – what he's talking about there is also he's got to coach his coaches better. That's part of this too. We always think of the coach and the players. No, no, the coach, the head coach also coaches his assistant coaches. And you can tell Brian Kelly's realizing, okay, my guys aren't ready. The guys on my staff aren't doing the job, so I got to step it up and coach them up so they can coach up the guys. Got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up when we return. Major League Baseball Divisional Series are now set. Stroh's going to be taking on the Mariners. Thankfully, Kevin Foote's going to be leaving town for a few days while this series is going on. That way things won't get too ugly around here in the studios between Hannah Five Names and Footsie. We'll give you a preview of that coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You know the number.
6: Two, four, niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there Were you calling from a walkie-talkie?
1: No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337-706-0111 back to more rp3 and company on the the game. game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station
2: major league baseball division series are now set Woo! It was an interesting weekend, unexpected weekend for wild cards, right? I told you last week for my Bravos, the team that I worried about the most was the St. Louis Cardinals. Well, they're not there. Phillies credit them. Despite fading a little bit down the stretch, they went into St. Louis and said, have some. Done. Molina and Pujols' careers, done. Cardinals not moving on. Phillies are Phillies Braves are going to be one of the National League divisional series they obviously play in the same division it's going to be a handful on the other side of the National League the Mets despite winning more than 100 games despite leading the National League East for you know 85 percent of the season they don't even make it to the division series. Max Scherzer got absolutely trashed by the San Diego Padres. DeGrom keeps him alive for one more day. But Padres win it yesterday, take two or three in the wild card series in New York, nonetheless. And the Mets who likely will have both of their aces hit the free agency market and some of their relievers and one of their bats. Got to look around going, uh, what happened? Padres will now take on the Dodgers. So in the National League, you have divisional rivals playing each other in the National League divisional series. NL East between the Braves and the Phillies. NL West between the Dodgers and the Padres. Familiarity. could get things interesting in the National League. And that also applies, by the way, to the American League. Astros will now take on the Seattle Mariners. Mariners go into Toronto. Flex. You happy, are you? Uh, She's been flexing the whole morning. Rocking her Seattle Mariners shirt. Just over there flexing like she's Arnold Schwarzenegger at a (laughs) Mr. Olympia competition
9: <laughs> and i will continue to do so i will be like what james did with the C- the celtics i will be wearing the shirt underneath my work shirt the next couple of days every day they play i will be doing that just give me a heads up right now
2: mariners beat the blue jays for nothing and then in epic fashion come back and win that game 10 to 9 yep. in game two and just absolutely crushed the souls of all of Canada. Seattle, impressive, and now they get to face a team that they've had success against. Astros led the series against the Mariners during the regular season, 12 games to seven. But the Mariners gave them everything they could handle. And that's going to be interesting. That's going to be very interesting. The Guardians, by the way, formerly known as the Cleveland Indians, they easily dispatched of the Tampa Bay Rays who backed into the playoffs they faded down the stretch they backed into the playoffs and they looked like they were completely disinterested about being in the postseason and Cleveland's like thank you boom bye moving on so in the American League for the divisional series this is what we have Yankees Guardians best of 5 series Game one will be tomorrow night, 737. Also, game one for the other divisional series between the Stros and the Mariners will be at 237 first pitch. You can listen to that game live tomorrow here on the game. We'll have day playoff baseball for you tomorrow, Tuesday. That will wipe out Jordy Holtberg's show and Crunch Time with Miguez Mesh. And then again on Thursday, Game 2 will be at the same time as well, 237 first pitch. So no majority, no crunch time on Thursday as well because we got Astros baseball. Both of those first two games, of course, will be at Minute Maid Park in Houston. Then Game 3 will be in Seattle and Games 4 and 5 if needed. Games 4 will be in Seattle as well. That'll be Saturday, Sunday, Games 3 and 4. And then Game 5, if necessary, will be back in Houston on monday national league division series that begins tomorrow as well phillies at braves 1207 and then dodgers and padres will also be tuesday night so the division series are set now five names yes we talked about not being greedy with your fandom we discussed this we did your team gets to the playoffs for the first time since 2001.
9: Mm-hmm.
2: That's a victory. You win the wild card series against the Blue Jays on the road. Great victory. No matter what happens this next week, in this best of five series against the division rival Houston Astros,
9: you should be good to go. Yeah. Our, my, my, my goal for the season was to get to the playoffs. We did that. New goal was then to win at least one game in the wild card series. We won two. We beat them. So now go. if my, if I just win maybe one in this, it's a land, yeah, but that's going to be the next goal for the team.
2: For you, because you're so appreciative, your team made it to the playoffs for the first time in more than 20 years. They not, Then they turned around and won a playoff series on the road. You just don't want to be swept.
9: Basically, yeah. I don't want it to end in three. There we go. I'll have a game four it'd be great
2: there we go there we go I love
9: it yep I'm
3: happy for you a- you're a- happy you're I am
9: very ecstatic <laughs> my mom wanted us to help her and give her some ideas for Christmas I was like I just want a postseason Seattle Mariners hat and a Julio Rodriguez jersey I have four different parents they're all gonna ask for Christmas list those are the top two on the list
2: if you give them all the same list the likelihood <laughs> is you're going to have them
9: Yes. Right. Yeah, Someone's going to step up and get the you. the fingers are crossed.
2: Because you'll always have someone get you something that's not on your list. And you're like, "I, thanks. Appreciate it. I really wanted
9: this. <laughs> this. These are the top two. I have four parents. And those four parents, two of them have four parents. So with my 11 grandparents and my four parents, I think it might happen.
2: All right. There we go.
9: But yeah. That, that.
2: So division series have been set. Once again, you can listen to Stroh's Mariners live from Minute Maid Park. First pitch two thirty-seven tomorrow. You can listen to it live right here on the game. We got to take a timeout. When we return, Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio will join us right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. Oh the sweet dough pie festival is coming back it's serving up a slice of history and deliciousness you know who enjoys going to the sweet dough pie festival the parch family myself tina we take hattie you know why it's so great it's not because they have a ton of carnival rides or anything like that anything like that it's because they have delicious homemade sweet dough pies it's my kind of jam yeah doesn't have all the carnival rides and all that stuff ferris wheel or anything like that It doesn't have that it's a little small festival but it's got fresh homemade baked goods hello tina hattie rp3 will likely be attending yet again every year pastry chefs and home cooks vie to be crowned the best in the sweet dough pie contest where the public is the judge and of course a large variety of pies are available for purchase yes they are and they'll be taking my money again. The Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th from 9 to 3 p.m. at Grand Coteau Town Park there in Grand Coteau. For, for for more information, call 337-331-6352. That's 337-331-6352. Or visit the town of Grand Coteau's Facebook page. Once again, Sweet Dough Pie Festival returns Saturday, October 29th, and there's a very good possibility that you will see yours truly, my wife, and our daughter, Hattie Elise Parch, roaming the grounds, probably eating the sweet dough pies before we even bring them home. That's a possibility. Right now it's time for us to talk all things LSU. It's not a possibility, it's a certainty. Because Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio joins us now. Jeff, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
8: All doing well. How about yourself, Raymond?
2: I got excited, but I was thinking about the sweet dough pies that I'm going to be eating in a few weeks. <laughs>
6: <laughs> you know, He's look, look
2: I, I'm, I'm a big fella. So, I, I, you know, I'm a simple man. I think about food. So, let's go back to Saturday. And I, I, I know you, no one really wants to, but we'll do it. What stood out to me, Jeff, being in Tiger Stadium? was just the difference in talent level between Tennessee and LSU. And I think this is the first time this season that we've really seen that, that the the difference is pretty great between a top 10 ranked volunteers team and an LSU team. Do you agree?
8: Oh, for sure, for sure. I mean, it, uh, it, uh, there, there was quite a difference. Um, but I, I would say, I guess, to add to that was that, LSU, it felt to me, tried to go in there and play Tennessee's game. Meaning, Mm. I think they wanted to go in there and try to outscore LSU. So, you already know going into this game that you're at a talent disadvantage. You already know you're going in there without your starting left tackle. And it just seemed to me that uh, they were thinking that their defense, for whatever reason, which has been... The strength of this team—it uh, it didn't seem to me like they had faith that the defense can go in there and slow down Tennessee. But, I mean, except, you know, winning the opening coin toss and accepting the football to me it was it right there sets you off on a bad note, right? And then you 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 get down uh, seven to nothing, you get down ten to nothing, uh, or seven to nothing. You you go for I guess it was 10 to nothing. And then you had a fourth, your first of the three fourth down situations you missed. You, you don't go for the field goal, you go for it. Uh, it. It just seemed to me that they were trying to go into this contest, thinking that they can just beat Tennessee 38, 35 or something like that. And, um, and and they just didn't show much faith in their defense. And in the end, their defense didn't play all that great either. So um it, it, yeah, it was a it was a game where every facet, offense defense, special teams, coaching, preparation, all of that uh, Tennessee was so much better than lSU. And you know that's uh, that was shocking because we were I, I think a lot of LSU fans could have accepted a loss. I mean heck Tennessee came into the game favorite. I don't think though getting blown out by twenty seven points I, I didn't I don't think anybody really saw that.
2: What do you make of his mindset and his theory about going for it on fourth down, like he did three times in the first half? Uh,
8: I Again, I, I just feel like there wasn't much trust that the defense can hold this Tennessee team down. And uh, you have an offense, uh, you know. Let's go. Let's go to the first one. I get, you know, the, the third down in one play. Uh, Jaden Daniels doesn't throw it when he's got one and one coverage, and then they go to Josh Williams, and then he gets stuffed. Um, really I, I thought, and then going forward on your own territory, that was, I, I kind of get it in a sense that, Hey, we got to score touchdowns and who knows, maybe if they didn't have the, the, um, maybe, maybe if it didn't start as bad as it did with Besh dropping the opening kickoff, maybe, maybe they're not in that mindset. I don't know. Maybe that might've sped them up a little bit thinking, Oh boy, we better, you know, we got to somehow keep keeping, keep. In, keep try or keep, uh, keep pace with this Tennessee team. Um, and then the, really the, the, just the whole sequence of events at the end of the half was just killer, right? I mean, you're down 20 to seven. There's that slant pass to Dre Jenkins. He drops it. It would have been a touchdown. Then you go for it on fourth down and, um, Daniels takes a sack and then, so what? It was a ten-point swing, and instead of potentially going into the locker room down six, you're all of a sudden down sixteen, and that was that was kind of the uh, that was the nail in the coffin, really. And, and obviously Tennessee takes the opening drive in the second half uh, and scores. And again, another reason why why you accepted the football to begin with, you needed the ball to begin the second half in a game like this. Um, so it was just uh, yeah, it, it was. It was one of those games that really just snowballed them on quickly, and they couldn't they couldn't turn it around.
2: I can't believe I'm saying this, yeah, I, I I believe it because I see it. So I'm just being a little sarcastic here, but LSU football can't run the football, like and and I don't know how you fix that, Jeff. Like I, I when I look at this team, they can't run the football. just can't. No,
8: they can't. No, they can't. They can't, and uh, it was demonstrated on that first, fourth, and one that they went for, um, and Josh Williams didn't even get close to the line of scrimmage, and then you go down, you know, you you go into this game without Will Campbell, and then Garrett Dellinger gets hurt, and it looks like he'll be out, I'm guessing, you know, a few weeks. Uh, I don't think it's a season-ending thing, but he's going to probably be out for these, Next two games, we'll find out what Brian Kelly has to say. Um, so now you're you're really you're you're without uh, two your best offensive linemen, and that's obviously where it starts. But there's nothing out of this group that you're seeing uh, with between Josh Williams, the, the three guys that are healthy right now: Josh Williams, John Emery, Noah Kane. You're just not seeing. You're not seeing anything, and we talked about it after the win against Auburn, if he can at least get a couple of big plays out of John Emery, right? Just give me a couple of big plays, uh, just like he pulled off in the Auburn game. Uh, you'll take that. Well, you didn't, really, you didn't get even that against Tennessee, but it is shocking when you consider you know, all these great running backs that LSU has had over the last 10, 15 years, 20 years, really, and they just got, they got nothing there. They have nothing there, and that that complicates the situation as well. And I, I mean, there's so much. Uh, you know, Mike Denbrock's, uh, you know receiving a lot of criticism of the offensive coordinator, but I it, I just think it's really hard to call plays um, when your offensive line is like this. Now, could they could they do some different things uh, schematically? Could, could they? I mean, I was just really impressed with what Tennessee did. Uh, just, you know, their call playing, uh, it seemed like you were on your heels the whole time. You didn't exactly know where the ball was going. Uh, the precision of how they run their offense was very impressive. And granted, this is just, what, game five five or six in, in a new regime. You know, LSU's not going to be at that pace just yet, but... Um, they, you know they got a lot of issues. Uh, the offensive line, you can't run the ball, and then you got a quarterback in Jaden Daniels who is probably just too protective of the football, and they and they, they don't take shots downfield. So the opposing defense, I don't know if you really ever feel threatened going up against this offense. You, you really don't because um, there's nothing there that's really going to what, what scares you. There, there's nothing. I mean. Um, and so uh, to me, they're, they're a little bit easy to, to, to defend because they don't have any big play ability or anything like that. And it's just hard to muster, you know, 10, 11 play drives and do that consistently and put four touchdowns on the board. They did it twice in a game against Tennessee and they, they scored touchdowns, but that, you know, 13 points is not going to win you many games.
2: Would you make of what Brian Kelly said afterwards? Cause he kept bringing home two points. Jeff, that really stood out to me in the press conference was, one, we got to do a better job coaching. And I think he's Mm -hmm. talking about himself coaching his own coaches and the coaches themselves. And he kept bringing home the fact we got what we got, right? Like, these are guys we have. These are the best guys we have. We have to coach them up. He was very forthcoming with that. He didn't shy away from it. He wasn't making excuses. He's just like, these are guys we got. we got to coach them up. We got to do better. We got to do better. What Would you make of the tone of his press conference? Uh,
8: I mean, I, I think it's a tone that you hear from a lot of coaches. I do like the fact that you know they expect, or they, you know, they're putting a lot of blame on themselves. Um, I, I don't think uh, you know. I, I, I'm not a big fan of you know coaches. Uh, you know, really, at the end of the Les Miles era, there was a lot of you know less kind of pointing the blame at the players. I so I, I'm. I I like when coaches kind of put the blame on themselves, especially when they're kind of talking about 18 to 22 year old kids, even in this NIL era. Um, So I, I don't, I I just think it's a coach that's, you know, facing the reality of of the situation or trying to express the reality because, you know, this team had went on what a three, four game winning streak. And, you know, everybody was saying, Hey, maybe, maybe, maybe this team is a, a, someone that can win, you know, nine or 10 games in the sec. And what we got on Tennessee was a a cold bucket of reality, right? And this team is now, it's it's probably, you know, for them to, you know, if they win one of these next three games, Raymond, I, I I think that's, that's I think you take that. So get get a win somewhere out of these next three. So if if they go one and two, you're looking at an eight and 14, uh, potentially, you know, depending on what they do against Texas A&M and, Uh, towards the end of the season and and when they play Arkansas. So, you know, eight and four, seven and five, I think that's kind of where we're at. And uh, I think it it also kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, maybe 20, uh, 2018 in a sense, you know, Ed Orgeron said kind of the same stuff when they would, you know, not play very well. He kind of recognized what the, you know, where the deficiencies were and, you know, how to go address them. And uh, I, I think Brian Kelly Kelly's a pretty smart guy, and he can he knows how to uh, he knows how to um, put together a winning program. And I think he's he's recognizing even more where some of those deficiencies are at.
2: Jeff, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy Tiger Rag Radio. I'm sure no one will be calling in. I'm sure there'll be no passionate <laughs> fans expressing themselves to you guys on the air uh, tomorrow night.
8: All right, Raymond. Appreciate it, man. Uh, looking forward to it, and uh, we'll see. We'll see how these next couple of games go. But it could be, uh, like I say, it's um, you know, winning any of these next three is going to be a, a big challenge for this group.
2: I agree, brother. I agree. Appreciate your time, bud. We'll talk to you next Monday.
8: All right. Thanks, Raymond.
2: It's Jeff Palermo. Yeah, look, Florida feels like a coin flip game. Right, You could win that. You sneak that win in. Ole Miss is undefeated, and they're starting to get really good quarterback play out of their young guy. But then it's bye week, Bama. But then, you know what I'm saying, Arkansas, UAB, A&M to end the season, I think all three of those are winnable games, even after what I saw on Saturday. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. We'll update the poll question of the day and wrap up hour number two. That's next Right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, we asked you, is the formula that we saw in Sunday's game, victory for the New Orleans Saints, where they got the ball in Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill's hands a lot, is that going to be the new formula to get this team back on track to get them to be a winning team, possibly even a playoff team? Or was it just a one-shot deal against one of the worst defenses in the National Football League? 49% of you say yes. 40% say maybe. 11% say no. Tan on Twitter says yes. And this is nothing new. If you get the run and short pass game going, it always opens up the vertical game. In other news, Hannah Five names don't be like James Mesh. Make sure to wash your shirt every time you wear it. Do I want to know why he's wearing smelly shirts? Do I do I need to have that type of conversation today? I was hoping not to, but apparently James doesn't wash his shirts for his favorite team. Not for sure what's going on there.
9: No, I think he didn't wash his shirt the entire Celtics series in the playoffs, if I'm correct. I think he didn't like, wash it at all. He's continued to be wearing it.
2: Gross. Yes, I will have to have a conversation with James Mesh now. Yeah. Brad on Twitter says, absolutely, got to keep mixing in the pass enough to keep defenses guessing. Need wide receivers healthy, and Troutman needs to keep catching the ball. Who dat? Yeah, it was good to see him catch the ball, right? Ralph also says, and we don't have a number one draft pick next year. The only undefeated team in the league has ours. Go figure. (laughs) John Paul Cajun daddy says, I'll say this. In his first game, he'll effective aggravating his ribs in week two, held out in week three because of rib and ankle Week four, very limited because of injuries. This is the first week since week one he was fully healthy. This is why he was now being fully utilized. Ralph also tweeting, Mickey Loomis fielding calls for the secret formula and sharing a gif of Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. (laughs) Oh, man. Keep those votes coming for our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Two hours are in the books. We've covered a lot of ground. LSU, Saints, Major League Baseball playoffs. Hour number three, we'll talk more about the NFL with Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. He'll join us to lead things off. And then after that, we'll talk a little Raging Cajun football. That's all coming up right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios
1: in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks Third, better known as RP3.
2: Our number three has arrived on this Monday edition of RP3 and Company. Man, we've had a good show so far, haven't we? Covered a lot. New Orleans Saints getting a much-needed win as they pull out Taysen Time to take down the Seattle Seahawks. LSU Tigers get humbled at home in one of the most lopsided losses at Tiger Stadium in modern history. That was on Saturday. We'll talk more about college football coming up in a little while as we look at the Raging Cajuns gearing up for a game against Marshall and also talk about some of the other big games over the weekend including a historic Red River shootout that's right I still call it the Red River shootout between Texas and Oklahoma but right now it's time for us to talk National Football League are the Philadelphia Eagles legit can the Cowboys keep winning this way without Dak Prescott and what ails some of the big traditional powerhouse teams that have struggled coming out of the gate to break it all down for us is our guy, Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. He joins us right now. Vinny, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Good. How's it going, RP3? It's going well. Um, as it sits right here, the Philadelphia Eagles have to be uh, a big surprise. The NFC East in general, because the Commanders are trash, which eh, not that's not surprising, but Philly – the only undefeated team left in the NFL, Dallas, despite not having Dak Prescott, finding ways to win with Cooper Rush, and the Giants, the New York Giants, who beat Green Bay yesterday in London, they find themselves right in the thick of things as well. What do you make of what's going on with the NFC East? Yeah, I wrote about
10: it yesterday at Sporting News, and there's some reasons why this is happening. I mean, you have some pretty good quarterback play right now. I mean, Daniel Jones has played well. He just doesn't have a lot of receivers he's leaning on Saquon Barkley it's a Brian Dable Mike Kafka system these guys came from working with Josh Allen Patrick Mahomes so some of that is rubbed off on him the Giants already had a pretty good defense we know the Eagles have a very good defense with their front seven and they cleaned up linebacker a little bit and have uh, definitely good secondary players led by Darius Slay we know what the Cowboys are all about they've got DeMarcus Lawrence and uh, Trayvon Diggs on the back end and Micah Parsons cleaning up everything. So these teams are pretty loaded defensively and their offenses, uh, they're sometimes a grind. I mean, the Eagles are not necessarily explosive every single week. They have some issues Uh, they had to grind through a little bit there against the Cardinals, but they can do a little bit of everything. They can run when they need to their quarterback can run just like with Jones and Prescott and uh, Cooper Rush uh, managing the game. And, they can do a little bit of everything. They're versatile teams. that can beat you in a variety of ways. I think their coaches have done a great job. Dable, for sure. Uh, Nick Serriani, 100%, uh, with the Eagles undefeated. And Mike McCarthy, I think he gets a lot of heat. But I I look at Callen Moore and Dan Quinn. They're bringing good game plans every week to adjust to what's going on with what they have there. So there's some good coaching. There's some good defensive play. that's what you get the results there of uh, having a combined record there of 13 and 2.
2: Yeah, they've started off now phenomenal. Of course, they'll beat up on each other down the stretch, but great starts for the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants. Another team that I'm surprised by, and, and, and just like the New York Giants who made a coaching change, this team made a coaching change in the offseason, and it seemingly has paid off well. The Minnesota Vikings. I didn't know what to think of them before the season, but here they sit atop the NFC North, 4-1, and one, and they're getting good play out of Kirk Cousins. They're getting good play out of their defense. What's been the key for Minnesota so far to be on top of the NFC North?
8: Well,
10: one thing is that they've uh... – they done the most important thing is having a three and zero start in the division. I mean, they've beaten the Lions, the Bears, and Packers already, so that's a great start for them uh, to try to win this division. They would be actually the number two seed behind the Eagles. The only loss of the season is to Philadelphia on Monday night there, so in week two. So this this Vikings team is quiet. They're getting the job done. I don't think they're a perfect team by any means. I mean, they struggle to close out the Lions, and they to need the big play at the end to win that game and yesterday was a bit of a grind to let the bears waltz back into the game so uh, it's not a perfect team by any means but they're improved they're got an offensive game plan that's working getting the most out of uh, Justin Jefferson Dalvin Cook Kirk Cousins actually hasn't played all that well yet and their defense has been up and down but yeah Kevin O'Connell has cleaned up some things I like uh, the way they're playing overall and uh, again, you have to give them credit. They're the first uh, team in the division there in the NFC North, and they got to feel really good about being three and zero in that play. And the Packers got some uh, fixing to do. Well,
2: I want to stay in that division and talk about the Packers. When you say they got some fixing to do, what exactly stands out to you through five games, if any?
10: Well, I think the biggest disappointment is their defensive communication. I mean, they have a lot of good players there, Rashawn Gary. You have Devondre Campbell. You got Jair Alexander. Adrian Amos uh, was banged up and missed this game. Uh, so they got to get their secondary a little bit in order, a little bit confused there. They have also been gashed against the run the past two weeks against the Patriots and Giants. So maybe clean things up a little bit, communicate on the front, communicate on the back. And their offense is not the explosive offense, it's more a grinding offense. I think the running game has been a bit a disappointment. I, I thought they would take over more games with Aaron Jones and uh, A.J. Dillon. That hasn't quite happened. The funny thing is the big question mark we had about the passing game, where were they going to find weapons for Aaron Rodgers, that's actually not been that big of a deal because you look at Romeo Dobbs and uh, Randall Cobb and Al Nazar, that's a pretty good trio. And then you throw in Robert Tunya at tight end. So Aaron Rodgers is just fine. It's just getting the rest of his team kind of in sync here. I think he's making the most of what they have offensively.
2: What do you think the new coaching staff's approach with Justin Fields in Chicago? What do you make of that so far?
10: I think it's a work in progress because early, I think they just said, okay, we're not going to let you throw and do anything. But now you see the last couple of weeks, you saw Darnell Mooney get downfield for some big plays there. And uh, that, that changed the scope of the offense a little bit. It was a little bit more. Diverse, you involve the tight end a little bit more than everyone expected was going to happen. And then David Montgomery, they're always going to have a strong baseline in the running game. I think people were ripping into this Bears offensive line as being one of the worst ever. Now, it's not a great pass-protecting line, but it's actually a very good run-blocking line. And that's why they've done that, is because they know they're a little bit weak at that spot up front. Don't want to get Justin Fields getting a lot of hits. They so got David Montgomery, you got Khalil Herbert. So they're staying competitive. I just don't see this team... Uh, They're turning things around. I think their defense actually is a bigger issue than their offense. I don't think they can slow down much their run or pass. They really miss Khalil Mack. Roquan Smith can't do it alone on the island. I think secondary's got some players, but they're young, and they've got a few injuries there. So we're seeing that getting getting exposed. So not the Bears' defense we're used to seeing out there in Chicago. The offense will get better, but the defense is going to continue to be a problem.
2: We're talking with Vinny Iyer, covers the National Football League for the Sporting News. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk about the NFC South because it seems wide open to me, and just not because we're down here in Louisiana, but Tampa Bay looks to be a very flawed team to me. They only have a game up on the Saints and the Falcons. I mean, the Panthers are, are awful, but what do you make of what you're seeing out of the NFC South as a whole?
10: I think the Buccaneers are going to be fine. It, they're figuring out some things as they go along as well. Look at their schedule. It's pretty easy going forward now. You have Steelers and Panthers back-to-back, so they should continue to win. They haven't been all that impressive when they have won, and they've lost uh, two key games there, we know, the last couple weeks. But when you look at the Buccaneers, I mean, they're going to be fine. I think they're just kind of maybe unenthusiastic, kind of like the old Brady's Patriots teams where – they kind of knew they were going to win the division, but they're just, okay, we're just need to get to the playoffs, position ourselves for that. Things are not too out of hand here yet. I mean, the NFC East, as you mentioned, has to play each other still, so they could beat each other up. It could clear a path for the Buccaneers to get the number one seed, so there's all that going on. So I think they're just kind of disinterested in the way I thought they played against the Falcons. They had the lead, and they kind of just sat on it. They were just, okay, I guess we won this game. And they almost lost the game. and uh, They got a call there that got in their favor that uh, kept the Falcons from having one last drive. But when you look at it, I think Buccaneers are still the favorite. I still think the Saints are the second-best team. And, and the Falcons and Panthers, I mean, we know what the Panthers are. They're pretty terrible right now. And the Falcons are just uh, kind of overachieving. They're going to be competitive in a lot of weeks, but just don't have a lot of talent there.
2: How quickly do you think Matt Rule is going to get fired in Carolina?
10: Well, I think the clock has been ticking. It could be this week. <laughs> From, uh, what we've heard down here in Charlotte, that it's uh, potential. It could be today. Um, they, do don't ha- they don't do have a bye for a while, so that seem- would seem an ideal for the transition. They have a primetime game coming up, I believe, in a few weeks against the Falcons. And uh, this week, uh, it's uh, more brutal play. they got to go out to Los Angeles. So um, I don't know if this is going to be a... Lane Kiffin or Steve Sarkisian situation. (laughs) If they go to the uh, Rams and get blasted one more time and that's the end of it and they leave him in Los Angeles, I'm not sure. I I think, to be honest, Matt Rule probably should take one of those college job openings. I mean, those are probably better suited for his style of coaching. I mean, it's pretty evident. And and some guys just can't cut it. It's a different animal, a different level of scheming. And forward thinking that you need to be successful in the NFL and I don't think he has that so I don't know what they do I guess they would go to Ben McAdoo as uh, the head coaching experience of the Giants to be the interim coach but uh, I think the coaching search is going to be on I think what they do want is somebody who's been there before and coach so I think you're looking at a Mike McCarthy or a Doug Peterson type of situation for their next coach
2: you brought up the Rams they're the defending Super Bowl champs, and man, they played like they've had a hangover all season. They're two and three now. For them, the West is a logjam, right, of nothing but two and three and three and two teams. So still plenty of time to figure it out. But when you watch the Rams play, Vinny, what's the big thing missing for the defending champs?
10: Well, I think their offense is just choppy. They don't really have great offensive line play. Andrew Whitworth is a big loss, they haven't had their center play for a while. Uh, they've been injured at guard. So their offensive line is crumbled. They cannot run the ball at all with anyone. And they're not being able to get anyone involved consistently other than Cooper Cup and Tyler Higby. It's pretty predictable. I mean, for Sean McVay to have that offensive acumen and to see a team that's just relying on two players for the passing game and really their whole offense, it's really kind of shocking. So I don't know. Matthew Stafford, he's not, again, I think this is why we had the Hall of Fame talk after the Super Bowl. This is why you got to pump the brakes. This is a guy that led the league with Trevor Lawrence, tied with interceptions last year. He's been awful this year. He's only been to one Pro Bowl in his career, despite putting up some big numbers, by the way, and the alternate situation there. So I think we're seeing Matthew Stafford. like He's a high-ceiling quarterback, but he's also a very low-floor quarterback where things can crash. Where I think Jared Goff is... Uh, <laughs> pretty much a medium ceiling, medium floor quarterback. I I think uh, Matthew Stafford has got the range of outcomes, and that's why they went to get him, because they needed a guy of bigger upside. But now, when the offensive line's not working, when you don't have other receivers getting involved, Alan Robinson is not getting the job done as a number two. Everything's going to come unraveling. And we see Matthew Stafford, and I think people have kind of underestimated the fact that Stafford has had a lot of good supporting cast, going back to Calvin Johnson. When he doesn't have that, He's not capable of lifting teams. And, I, and, again, that's how I draw the line between the truly great quarterbacks. They make do with whoever's out there. We see with Patrick Mahomes. We see it with Josh Allen. We see it with Aaron Rodgers. But Stafford, to me, is not one of those. He's more of that Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr Ranger quarterback where if things are working around him, he's going to put up some numbers, but he's nothing special there when it's all in him to, to be the guy to lift the team out of problems.
2: I want to quickly go to the AFC before we let you go, Vinny. Two teams that have started off disappointing, especially with their offensive production, and that's the Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and company. They just haven't really got into a rhythm. Not a lot of downfield passing, especially recently for the Bengals. They sit at two and three. And then the Denver Broncos, Russell Wilson, uh, it's been rough to, to watch that Denver offense try to move the ball and try to score points. Which one of those teams, it's only two and three, but which one of those are you more concerned about being able to kind of turn things around?
10: Well, I'm definitely concerned about the Broncos because, I mean, the Ravens played pretty tough last night, or the Bengals, I should say. The biggest thing the Bengals are adjusting to is the fact that last year people weren't sure how Joe Burrow was going to respond after the ACL. They weren't sure how good Jamar Chase was. Then they found out pretty quickly that Jamar Chase is an incredible receiver. And so what you're seeing now is they're saying, okay, you love Jamar Chase. We know you have a chemistry with him. We know you love going for the big plays. We're going to take that away from you. See what happens. When T. Higgins is hurt, that's really tough, right? You have to throw it at Tyler Boyd in your tight end. And when you have Higgins and Chase out there together, it's almost unstoppable because nobody can cover either of those guys consistently. So I think that's a concern. There's learning to run the ball a little bit, use the – zone defense to their advantage, that, hey, we have Joe Mixon. We've got some pretty good other receivers here, so let's try to get that done. We saw flashes of that last night, but they have Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, I'm not worried about. That guy, you look at the makeup, you know, going back to LSU, going back to the Super Bowl last year, he's a guy that you can hang your team on, and he's going to lift you through this stuff, and that's that special quarterback I was talking about. With Russell Wilson right now, I, I mean, that just looks terrible, and I think now you have Garrett Bowles gone, their left tackle. You have Javante Williams down. You already lost Tim Patrick there, that was a key number three receiver. I don't see this getting all that much better. And Denver's defense is starting to take some hits too. Randy Gregory went down, and Baron Browning got hurt. They already had Justin Simmons out. Ronald Darby for his ACL there against the Colts. So it's brutal. I mean, there's not much out there. The Broncos are losing bodies on defense fast, so they don't have the offense to make up for it.
2: Vinny, appreciate your insight as always, brother. Thank you for making the time. Enjoy your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Hey, if you think Denver's offense is scary and you think it's scary how much they're paying Russell Wilson to be mediocre, it's time for you to face your worst nightmares with the game's 13th gate giveaway. Time is running out. Today is the last day to win VIP tickets. That's right. We have your VIP tickets for the legendary Haunted House attraction. That way you can scream over and over again while others have to wait in line. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com today to win yourself a pair of VIP tickets to the 13th Gate, courtesy of Midnight Productions and The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll talk a little raging Cajun football and college football. That's all next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: RP3 came to the station this morning to do only two things. Kick some ass and drink some beer. Looks like we're almost out of beer. Well, it's kind of early for the latter, isn't it? Maybe. Probably. Maybe just a root beer or some flavored water back Back to more kick-ass sports talk with rp3 and company on the the game game. 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's Louisiana's Sports sports station
2: in louisiana there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface sometimes multiple lines are in one area so look if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a new fence, a pool, a garden, a gazebo, swing set, it really doesn't matter. You run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe you only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 2 days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free of charge, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Remind you, call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Let's talk a little college football, shall we? The Red River Shootout. (laughs) What? There's some surprising games over the weekend. Texas A&M, Alabama battling it out. Alabama playing down to the competition yet again. That's something they've been doing the last couple years. They're a very vulnerable team. And they dropped from one to three after what our friend Koki Riley uh, described on Twitter. Alabama just going to be playing around with its food tonight, huh? Yep. No Bryce Young again, backup quarterback is in there. He's really a runner. Had three touchdowns, also had three turnovers. Stupid penalties on the defensive side of the football. Bad special teams. They still hold on to win on a goal line stand at the end as AM had everything it could muster. And Jimbo saying, well, you know, our backup quarterback played too. Yeah, but your backup quarterback started the season as the starter before getting benched for poor play. A little bit different. But Bama survives A&M. I don't know if they're going to play that way and be able to survive an undefeated Tennessee team for this Saturday, for the third Saturday in October, rivalry game. That was surprising. But the Red River Shootout takes the cake. Oklahoma is in shambles. Texas beat them forty-nine to nothing. 49 to nothing. Now, Texas is trying to rebuild, and Sark is trying to do something there with the Longhorns. But who had him whooping Oklahoma 49 to nothing? It's the largest ever win over the Sooners for the Longhorns. Ever. And it's their first shutout of Boomer Sooner since 1965. It sure does seem like uh, when Lincoln Riley left Oklahoma to take the USC job, he took their best players with him and then left. It's not going well for longtime, well-respected defensive coordinator Brent Venables in Norman. That's a big old wolf. Shout out to Texas, though. That is a feather in their cap, bragging rights all day long. Speaking of a feather in their cap, Shout out to the Sunbelt Conference. James Madison, by the way, ranked in the top 25. they become the first program ever to make the transition from the FCS level to the FBS level and be ranked in the top 25 that first year. Now, James Madison cannot qualify for the conference championship or a bowl game because they're in the middle of their transition time, moving up, but that program is going to be a problem in the Sunbelt Conference for years to come. We talked about it. As soon as they join the conference, they're going to be a problem. Speaking of the Sun Belt, Raging Cajuns need a big win, a must-win, if you will, to get back on track. They've hit the skids, lost three straight, two and three. Sun Belt is stacked. And they got to go play Marshall Wednesday night in Huntington, West Virginia, a tough place to play, making the cross-country trip. That's changed their schedule, so they practice over the weekend. And Coach Dez took a few moments to talk to the media during his practices. And they're going to go with Ben Woolridge because Chandler Fields will not be able to go due to the injury. So it's going to be Ben's time. And Coach Dez was asked, how confident does he feel going with the backup quarterback?
1: Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They the Camara, breaks through, spins at the two, into the end zone, touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company.
2: Ross Jackson from the Locked On Saints podcast joins us now for the Big Easy Blitz. Ross, good morning to you, brother. It's always better to talk after a victory, isn't it?
3: Oh, it's always nice to have a victory Monday every now and then. Sort of started to forget what these felt like. So it's been (laughs) nice to be able to talk about a win for a change.
2: Hey, we've been talking about this for a while now. Get the ball in your playmaker's hands. Get the ball on Alvin Kamara's hands. Use him in the screen game. And sure enough, yesterday... We saw the game plan of Alvin Kamara is going to get a ton of touches and Taysom Hill is going to be utilized in the offense. And sure enough, they put up nearly 40 points.
3: Yeah, I think that there's sort of this holdover kind of concern around Alvin Kamara about not putting the ball in his hands too many times. I think you remember back in 2017, 18, 19, it was kind of like a, at uh, 20 times, under 20 times, is usually a pretty good spot for Alvin Kamara's touches, and that's just not who Alvin Kamara is anymore. He is now the guy that you can put the ball in the hand, put the ball in his hands 30 times in a game. He got you 194 yards from scrimmage uh, in yesterday's game, and of course. Taysom Hill on 30% of offensive snaps ends up scoring four touchdowns. Now, Taysom Hill's not going to be able to do that for you every week, but I think that you're able to find an identity here that you can start to build off of, which is one that rests in the run game. You have some things to fix on the back end over the defensive side, but maybe when the safety position gets a little bit healthier, they'll be okay there. But once they get that, they're in a position now to where they actually have an identity that they can build off of as a run-first or run-focused defensively led team.
2: You know, Andy Dalton wasn't great, but he wasn't awful. I mean, he had a couple of really nice throws. That one to Olave was just beautiful to watch. Mm-hmm. And then he had some ones that are kind of average. And the kids like to say mid, right? That's what we call average these days. <laughs> but they can win with that, right? Because you have a guy that's not going to cost you a game. He may not win you a game with his arm, but you got a guy that is going to be slightly conservative, can get you maybe 200 yards passing a game, maybe a touchdown or two. And you can run an offense where you involve Alvin Kamara and Taysom Hill. I mean, they didn't have Jarvis Landry and Mike Thomas yesterday, and they still nearly scored 40 points.
3: Right. And and again, you know, those 40 points have very little to do with Andy Dalton and have a lot to do with Taysom Hill. But when it comes to what Andy Dalton brought you yesterday – Uh, I I think that what you saw from him is somebody that can orchestrate an offense that could be a game manager for you and doesn't have any issue, you know, getting out of the way when it comes to more opportunities for Taysom Hill. But neither was Jameis. The difference is you didn't have to throw the ball 40 something times with Andy Dalton. You're able to throw the ball with him 24 times. You had 25 passing attempts in this game, including the touchdown by Taysom Hill as compared to 48 rushes in this game so the saints like that's the game plan that they want to have and they have the ability to be able to do that as long as they can stay healthy i think that andy dalton gives you a game manager he's not going to win any games for you you saw the interception on the out route to traquan smith there's just no juice on that ball it was not a very good throw traquan didn't help him out do him any favors things like that so you know look if, if the conversation is around turnovers andy dalton's turned the ball over for you twice in the last two weeks it just hasn't cost you the game so when are the opportunities when when Are those turnovers going to eventually be an issue? When are they not going to be an issue? How comfortable are you with those turnovers versus the ones that you might face with Jameis Winston? Or are you able to curb... The Jameis Winston turnovers by throwing the ball with him 20 to 25 times, like we saw in the first seven games last year, where he was very efficient, and when you didn't have to throw yourself back into games late. So there's a lot of different pieces here in terms of how the New Orleans Saints address their quarterback position. But at this point, whether they go with Andy Dalton or Jameis Winston, I don't know that there's necessarily a wrong or a worse answer. You've got two quarterbacks that will be able to run your offense if you're able to put them in safe situations to do so and not ask too much of them. And then you have a run game that can carry it the rest of the way.
2: Right, you lean on your running game, and for the Saints, it's always been. The, and people get this confused: the running game for them also includes the screen game, right? I mean, that's of course, that, yeah, the, the
3: short passing game, right? All that,
2: absolutely. right? The short passing game is also part of their running game. You can win a lot of games that way, whether that's yep. Andy or Jameis. I just don't think you need to see a New Orleans Saints quarterback throw it for forty times in a game. I just, I just no. don't. I don't think that's a recipe for success
3: absolutely no you're absolutely right there there's no reason for that to be the case we saw that last year uh things kind of changed up and they they started to have a little bit of fun through the air after coming back from 16 points down against the atlanta falcons and it didn't do them very well weeks what two through four effectively and there are three straight losses there you saw them kind of get back to basics on sunday and it led to a win
2: ross what kind of concern do we have about mike thomas in his uh, injury
3: i as of right now, I mean, it's a completely different injury on a completely different foot. So, as soon as he's able to come back from the turf, or I don't want to call it turf toe, I don't know if it is turf toe, but when he comes back from the turf, when he comes back from the toe injury, whatever it might be, then he should be all good moving forward as long as there's no re injury or anything like that. But it is good to know that it's, you know, the opposite foot. It's not, you know, a repeat injury of the ankle that caused him so much grief over the course of the past couple of seasons. Uh, according to uh, Adam Schefter over at ESPN, there's some expectation that he'll be able to potentially come back as early as this weekend against the Cincinnati Bengals the Saints can certainly use him and Jarvis Landry because they might be without Chris Olave because we know how sort of protective everything is going to be around concussion conversations right now with the NFL and they're changing protocols and so uh, you know hopefully you have him back and you're able to continue to move forward with him but as of right now I don't really have much concern around like repeat injury or injury concerns or anything like that considering that this is completely different than the ankle injury that had been the issue moving forward. You just have to hope that that another one doesn't pop up or that some other re-injury doesn't occur.
2: Do they need to have Mike and Jarvis both of them back for Sunday to have a chance to beat the Bengals?
3: I think it's very helpful. <laughs> Certainly, I mean those guys are. I <laughs> uh, think you know, like those guys are a part of your ball control plan, right? You can stay close to the line of scrimmage with them. That short quick passing game can extend to those wide receivers if you have both of those guys who can operate and uh you know operate very well in creating separation close to the line of scrimmage michael thomas has you know seen things open up for him a little bit in this version of the new orleans saints offense with him but i think going up against cincinnati you want to keep the ball out of that offense's hands and the firepower of joe burrow and tyler boyd and jamar chase and t higgins and joe mixon and all these guys you want to keep the ball out of their hands and so the possession receiver type. Is something that would really, really remarkably benefit them going into this game where they want to control the ball and hold on to it for as much as they can throughout that game.
2: We're talking with Ross Jackson, the Locked on Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. I want to talk about the defense. Mm-hmm. They did a nice job, but they gave up what? Five chunk plays in this game, right? The yeah. passing, four passes, and then they gave up the 69 yard touchdown run to Kenneth Walker, the third. I know the safeties being out, PJ and Marcus, are part of that reason. I get that. But what do you make of what you've seen from the Saints' defense so far? And what do you think they still need to kind of clean up on? Because they haven't been playing dominant football. Uh, They haven't been terrible. They just haven't been playing dominant football.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I I think you start at tackling. Tackling has been a consistent issue for this defense. I think they got a little bit better in yesterday's game but you want to see that trend continue forward but you have to be able to eliminate the explosive plays not only did they give up five plays of 20 or more yards three of them were touchdowns you had a dk metcalf touchdown you had what could have been a second dk metcalf touchdown had it not been for a penalty on the seattle seahawks it's side true. you also had the big touchdown to tyler lockett and then that that run by kenneth walker that you mentioned and so that's 21 points right there well i guess technically 20 points because they did miss a Uh, point after attempt on one of those but but you get the idea right I mean that's that's three scores that you ended up giving and handing over uh, to that Seattle offense and so you can't let that happen especially again with more and more firepower you know, down the schedule for this New Orleans Saints team. We just mentioned the Cincinnati Bengals, but you know the uh, the the Arizona Cardinals, who have a mobile quarterback, which is something that's always given the Saints a little bit of fits. They're going to be getting DeAndre Hopkins back. Devontae Adams is on the way. Lamar Jackson and his, his offense are on the way. So there's a lot that the New Orleans Saints are going to have to uh, be ready to defend against here as the schedule goes through. So getting a healthy Marcus May back helps you there. I mean, the Saints were effectively when they went into a dime or specific sub packages, they were effectively. Their fifth safety deep with J.T. Gray playing deep there, and J.T. Gray's shown flashes of what he does, but he doesn't get that many reps. He doesn't get that many opportunities, and so you know you have him as your last line of defense. That's not always going to work out very well for you. So when you have a guy like Marcus May come back, I think that that will help you in terms of making sure that you have that coverage over the top, which the Saints defenders uh, on the outside were clearly expecting to have. Uh, so you you know that's going to be a, a big piece. But Marshawn Lattimore also left yesterday's game. And didn't come back at one point and so we'll have to see uh what his injury is and what could potentially be down the road in terms of the saints having to dig even deeper into their secondary depth.
2: yeah he got hurt when he was trying to tackle the guy on the blown coverage and then he Mm -hmm. got kneed i do believe by his own teammate falling on him and then then he left so we'll get a status update on that i know it's early but you do your homework better than most kind of break it down give me the key for the saints to be able to get a win and make it two in a row by taking down the defending AFC champs, the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday?
3: Yeah, I I think we've effectively kind of talked around them, so it'll sound pretty familiar. But I think over on the offensive side, it's about ball control, trying to maintain time of possession. We'll see who the quarterback is next week. But getting the ball in Taysom Hill's hands can't hurt. I don't think you're... Rush to start to put Taysom Hill in the quarterback conversation, let me be very clear, because part of what it is that makes him so special is the dynamic way that you're able to deploy him effectively in the slot, out wide, in line, in the backfield, at quarterback, so on and so forth.
2: And it works, Ross. Like yesterday, they expected him to run on that play when he threw the 22-yard pass to Troutman for the touchdown.
3: Yeah, it's that meme of the guy be like, and he can pass like it's that whole thing. (laughs) And so like it's it's great, you know, that's that's what makes Taysom Hill so special. And that's a perfect example of how it worked out, even just the easy tendency breaker of him running to the left and effectively being able to walk into the end zone at one point in the red zone like those types of tendency breakers that you can utilize with Taysom Hill are special because of the way that you're able to deploy him and utilize him so I think he becomes a a greater part of the game plan Alvin Kamara continues to get more touches I think it's going to be ball control possession wide receiver focus heavy moving in throughout that game regardless of who's under center. The next piece is over the defensive side. You have to eliminate the explosive plays. A lot of firepower in the Cincinnati Bengals offense. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, those guys, they're going to want to go deep. They're going to want to take the top off. You can't let that happen. You have to put a cap on the the offensive production for the Cincinnati Bengals. And that's not going to be easy with some very, very talented wide receivers and a very talented offense on the way. So pass rush becomes a huge part of that with that sort of still turnstile laden uh, offensive line in Cincinnati.
2: I can't wait for Peyton Turner to take over a game. Oh, wait, I can't wait for Peyton Turner just to play in a game.
3: Yeah, that's a really, that's that has been a Mm. weird situation uh, to follow and to see, uh, you know, be interesting to see what further details come out around all of this. But he's dealing with injury and hasn't been able to get on the field, but he was also a healthy scratch the second week of the season because Dennis Allen simply wanted to see if they could get better play from Tonto Passigno. So uh, not necessarily conversations we want to be having about a first-round selection at this point.
2: No, no. But, hey. A win is a win. They get to two and three and the way the NFC is. Still got plenty of time to win this division and to be a playoff team. Ross, appreciate your time as always. Brother, tell the people when you're dropping the newest episode of the Locked on Saints podcast.
3: Absolutely. We got two of them up for you that are fresh from last night. The postcast, which was the live about 15 minute show right after media availability. And then the deeper breakdown uh, is also up later on tonight and into tomorrow morning. We'll release our next episode, which will be focused on sort of the analytics of everything um, and taking a look at Marshawn Lattimore's performance before he had to leave. uh, Chris Olave's performance before he had to leave. But then, of course, a specific focus on the way that the Saints utilize and maximize Taysom Hill and Alvin Kamara throughout the day.
2: Ross always appreciate your time brother keep up the tremendous work we'll talk to you soon
3: appreciate you buddy good to see you
2: we got to take a time out our final one of today's show when we come back we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foot and footnotes that's all next right here on the game southwest louisiana sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros <laughs> Oh, the poll question of the day. Let's check it out. We asked you, hey, is the formula from Sunday's win over the Seattle Seahawks, is that something that can be utilized moving forward to help the Saints get back in playoff contention, get them back in the divisional race? 50% of you say yes. That's getting the ball more to Alvin Kamara, getting the ball more to Taysom Hill. 37% of you say maybe. 13% say no. Let's get to some additional comments here. Robert Duplichan says, defense still needs to work out, but the offense is looking better. If we got our wide receivers back, we would really be hard to beat. Yeah, that's the key. Are you going to have Mike and Jarvis back for Sunday's game? Mr. Green goes down a rabbit hole that involves family guy. Remember when that was almost all Drew Brees did? Remember how successful the Saints were with it? Remember how the refs screwed over the Saints with the Nola no call? (laughs) Just what are you doing? What are you doing, you maniac? And Robert also says more Taysom, please. You got to incorporate him. You don't need him to score four touchdowns for you. You just need to utilize him a little bit more. I thought their game plan was really good. They sh- they leaned on their strengths, running the football, getting Alvin Kamara the ball, getting Taysom involved, and it paid off in a big way. Defense still a little shaky. Got to figure that out. I want to thank all of you for voting on the poll question of the day and leaving your comments on Facebook and Twitter. I also, t- want to take a moment to thank our guest Jeff Palermo from Tiger Rag Radio. Talking all things LSU. Humbling loss Saturday against Tennessee. want to thank Vinny Iyer from the Sporting News. Talking all things NFL. And of course, our buddy Ross Jackson from the Locked on Saints podcast for joining us as well. Whew. Don't forget, Strohs, Mariners, live tomorrow. Game one of the ALDS. You can listen to it live right here on the game. Astro launch will begin at 207. First pitch 237. Mariners-Astros live from Minute Maid Ballpark. We'll have it for you tomorrow afternoon. But that'll do it for today's show. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. I'm Raymond Parsa III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.